What's up, cool cats and cuties? This is the Promenade Merchants Podcast, a Star Trek podcast out on the frontier. So sit down and grab a rock to Gino as David Majors and Heather Kirby talk all things Star Trek. Old, new, and what's to come. The Promenade Merchants are open for business. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the 30th episode of the Promenade Merchants Podcast. This is a completely independent Star Trek podcast with myself, David Majors, and my co-host, Miss Heather Kirby. What's up, Heather? What's up, David? Happy Memorial Day weekend, everyone. Um, I am super excited for today because, as you guys know, we like to invite a guest on about every five episodes or so, sometimes a little more spliced in there. But today's guest is very, very special, and actually neither of you know this, because I don't think I've ever told the two of you this before. But I first met David by listening to him on our guest podcast. Yes, <laughs> And so yes. that's why I first followed David on Twitter. So ironically, like somewhere down the line, connect the dots somewhere – um, our special guest today is responsible for David and I becoming friends and starting this podcast. So welcome, Mr. Alex Perry. Well, that is awesome. Thank you, guys. I appreciate you having me. I'm very, very happy to be here. It is a pleasure to have you, Alex. Welcome to the Promenade. We like to think that you've been working so hard on weekly trek, sifting through the Dominion propaganda. <laughs> we thought you'd like to sit down and have a have a break and chill and have some Ractagena with us. So that, thanks for coming on the podcast. Absolutely. It's always a pleasure to be in the uh, on the third jump seat on the bridge for a change. Yes. <laughs> Well, for new listeners out there, we'll get started. Uh, we have a little bit of a format on the Promenade Merchants podcast where we talk about old business, whereas Star Trek is essentially kind of from the original all the way up to and including the Kelvin universe and just kind of general Trekkie conversation chat stuff and things. Uh, new business is anything that's happening right now in the world of Star Trek. And then later on, we'll talk about upcoming business, which we'll look at pun always intended Star Trek beyond pun always intended. So let's just jump in. Uh, Heather, you, you suggested this one and we put it on the show sheet. Uh, I believe that you were talking about this one and, and Alex, I think this is one that came up in your periphery recently, right? Heather, this was Star Trek Generations. Well, um, yeah, so it's the first of the TNG movies, but it's also kind of a crossover movie between the original series cast and the Next Generation cast. And so it's kind of one of those enigma movies where you either love it or you hate it. <laughs> and I happen to know that, Alex, this is one of your favorite personal Star Trek movies. So I yes, thought it would it be a good topic to talk about today. I love Star Trek Generations. Let's do it. Okay. Well, as we know, this was the first movie in the Star Trek universe to feature the Next Generation cast. And in the beginning of this movie, we saw the cast from the original series. Uh, this was sort of a, a passing of the torch of sorts. But that was not all. Uh, they, uh, the crew of the Enterprise D, uh, through Guinan, uh, encounter a scientist, an Elarian scientist named Soren, played by Malcolm McDowell, who is trying to enter a rip in space time known as the Nexus. Now, uh, I'm gonna wave my flag here and say this was maybe one of the very first movies i saw in a theater and i i'm feel like i'm one of the fortunate few i got caught up in the hype of seeing the cast of the next generation in movies even though my mom and my sister were more aware of the fact that the series was ending than i was 
me we little david was like oh cool it's gonna be a star trek movie and it's gonna have the the cast from the old show in it. it's gonna have both so awesome and i I must have been like nine or ten at the time uh alex i will ask you uh when did you first see star trek generations so i was living in saudi arabia at the time i would have been eight years old and i did not see the movie in theaters but i was living on like this compound that had all these international people americans brits australians etc and they had this sort of internal tv kind of network on which they showed all kinds of stuff from the uk and from the us and and i guess this must have been 95 yeah it would have been 95 because it was Star generations was coming to television and every week they would put out the TV guide that would go out, you know, like three or four weeks ahead. And so I, I got wind that Star Trek Generations was going to come, was going to be on TV on this one kind of channel, like, you know, three weeks away. And I highlighted it and I counted down every day to when that movie was on television. I watched it, was enamored with it from the first time I saw it. I know for those of you for whom it's not your favorite movie, I understand the flaws associated with it. It is a deeply flawed movie, but it is one that I personally enjoy immensely. I then, when we got back to the UK, it was one of the first Star Trek movies I got on VHS. And it's just always had a very special place in my heart. And the older I get, the less embarrassed I am by that. And so as, you know, as, as I like publish, you know, what's my favorite movie list? Generations creeps up and up and up every time I do it. All right. Um, you said that you were around nine or ten. Um, was it during its original release period? Yeah, so it would have been it would have been after it was in theaters, but it but like at the point at which it was starting to hit television. So okay. probably about a year after it was in theaters. Okay. Heather, what about you? What when did you first see Star Trek Generations. Um, to my recollect recollection, like maybe two years ago. <laughs> oh, okay. Wow. Like my 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 Star Trek movies. Uh, really, I didn't. I and it's just one of those things. Like I I might have gone and seen some of them in the theater, but the the first one I remember seeing in the theater was Insurrection. So I don't remember seeing First Contact or Generations in the theater, even though I probably was old enough to have gone and seen them. So, um, yeah, the first time I remember watching it was about a couple of years ago. And, you know, I really I, I, I'm just such a, a, a movie file, I guess, that um, I, I understand that there are, are flaws and things that people definitely might not like about the movie but i really appreciate um the type of people who do really love movies like that i mean because it it doesn't take a whole lot to connect to a movie and it could be for very personal reasons or it could just be for there's something about that movie that calls out to you and there's absolutely it was the christmas scene right it was the christmas scene nothing <laughs> There's absolutely nothing wrong with that, you know? So even if in general people think the movie's bad, there's always going to be someone who loves it. And like I said, that's particularly why I picked to talk about it with Alex because I knew he loved it. So I'd rather talk about it with someone who loves it and can see the good parts in it than someone who's just going to trash it. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm really interested in this uh polarizing opinion on star trek generations because i always knew that it wasn't a perfect movie by any means no but in my opinion and and this might get me some heat i don't know it's certainly not insurrection um but i'll say i've come around on insurrection over time it's grown on me over time but I definitely still enjoyed Generations quite a lot more uh, in, in the times that I've gone back and watched it. I do think that, uh, like some of the things that I've said about The Next Generation, I would probably say about this movie as well. Uh, lighting, filming, it looks very 1994. I, I remember saying recently, I watched this movie maybe three years ago again, that The Enterprise D as it is seen in this movie, 
doesn't exactly look the best on film, in my opinion. But I know that they started filming this movie literal days after The Next Generation wrapped and finished its seventh and final season. And I also know that the budget wasn't exactly high at the time. Maybe for 1994 it was high, but it felt like there were some things about this movie that weren't exactly on the highest budget. I don't know. Maybe it's just me looking back in retrospect. But Alex, I'll ask you, overall, what did you like about the movie? How did you feel about it? What did you like? So, a few things. One, I actually think that the Enterprise D never looked better than it did in Star Trek Generations. Um, The cinematography... So... Clearly, they filmed it on the same sets that they had filmed. They had just finished seven years' worth of TV. And so they took a very interesting lighting approach to lighting all of the Enterprise D sets that were designed to try and hide the fact that there was seven years of wear and tear on the bridge and on 10 Forward. And and that is why the ship is destroyed by the end of the movie. It's because those sets were built for television not for film and so they knew that they couldn't get more than one movie out of the enterprise d they were gonna have to get they were gonna have to get another enterprise that they could build you know in the correct aspect ratio to shoot i'm I'm really glad they did just for the record (laughs) because like because because the changes they made on the bridge right where they they raised the captain's chair up they left in for in in all good things the future enterprise they had put a platform in for the captain's chair that raised it up basically to more or less the level of the tactical station and they'd added in the bank of um consoles on both sides of the bridge those were done so that when you shoot the set you have something visually interesting in the whole picture because with the television cameras you're only filming a square but with the film cameras you're filming a rectangle so you need more to kind of fill out the picture and because the square is longer from top to bottom than the rectangle is that's why they had to pull up the captain's chair because you couldn't have put picard and Worf in the same shot together being seen on screen if you hadn't pulled up that captain's chair so i actually think i think the sets are really good um for me, the thing I really like about the movie is uh, I, I really I really like the villain. I really like Soren. I mean, I know that one of the things that a lot of people get really caught up on around why they don't like Generations is the nexus and the way that the movie resolves itself and the fact that Kirk has a pretty weak death, which I will accept all of that um, because why couldn't they have just, rather than go back, if the Nexus could spit them out anywhere, why did it? Why did they decide to spit it out at like thirty minutes before the end of the universe? Versus why not do it ten hours before the end of the universe, and then you got plenty of time to like fix whatever the problem was. So we'll take that as red <laughs> because but, movies, right? Exactly. But but I've I've always found the the, the character of Soren to be a really interesting one. Um, his perspectives on time and death and his motivations always felt incredibly genuine to me. I really love those scenes between Picard and Kirk. Once you get into the action stuff later, again, that's where it starts to fall apart a little bit because, you know, I think a lot of people had hoped that Kirk himself would have a slightly more glorious death than, you know, that he would die on a bridge and not under a bridge. But um, the uh, those conversations between those two characters are really good especially given the point in life that both of them are and the pieces of advice that they're both sharing with each other at that moment to kind of connect on that fundamental level to decide to undertake this particular mission and i do like i mean it it is really cool this idea of crossing over the original series you know movie cast with the next generation movie cast i mean you know this is this is what it would have been like 18 years pre Avengers, right? Which is this idea of taking different characters from different movies and putting them together in the same movie. This is people don't agree with me that it meets the same quality, but this is in some ways the Avengers for Star Trek, right? You bring together characters from these two different movie franchises and bring them together and sharing at least somewhat an adventure. So I really enjoy it. I love seeing the next generation stuff up on the big screen. I think 
Sir Patrick Stewart turns in a masterful acting performance. I think William Shatner turns in a great acting performance. And I think Malcolm McDowell turns in an incredible acting performance to be one of Star Trek's greatest villains. And it has the best, bar none, crash sequence of any Star Trek movie ever. I mean, that whole 15-minute sequence beginning, and again... Tons to criticize about the battle itself, right? Why does a 20-year-old bird of prey take down the Enterprise D with, like, five shots? We'll accept that was not the best thing <laughs> ever happened. But from the moment they, from the moment you, you're in that engineering and and, and Geordi um, taps his comm badge up to the bridge and says, Bridge, we've got a new problem. We're five minutes away from a warp core breach. There's nothing I can do. All the way through the moment when Riker regains consciousness looks up at the window on the ceiling of the bridge and sees blue sky above him that is one of the best most exciting best effects action sequence in all of star trek history bar none it is a gripping sequence and it's one of star trek's best i completely agree uh, and I will save my point to get in trouble, as I like to do a little bit later. But Heather, uh, tell me, uh, I, I loved everything he said about Malcolm McDowell as Soren, because I thought he was a great and really underrated Star Trek villain myself. Uh, looking back on Star Trek Generations, what about it really stuck out for you? That There's something that I am going to talk about in a little bit uh, that might get me in trouble. A lot of trouble, but I would love to know, like, what about Generations really stood out for you? Well, there's a couple things uh, that really stood out for me, and the one was the fact that Guinan plays a huge role in the movie. I think Guinan is such an important character to TNG, even though she wasn't a member of the regular class, the, the regular cast, and so for her to play such a huge role. Uh, in their very first movie especially is just really awesome to watch Um, the other thing that really sticks out to me is Picard uh, really getting emotional over the loss of his brother and his nephew Um, you there are times throughout TNG's run where you see Picard show emotions but they don't really overcome him and the one thing that's kind of at least they go through in the movies is to watch him uh really deep dive into his emotions uh because they do it in first contact with his anger and fear with the Borg and they do it a little bit in Nemesis as well. And so here in generations, they do a real deep dive into loss and um, the struggle to want to have a family and connect with other people. And I think it's just really, it's really wonderful to watch such a strong character like Picard that a lot of people look up to and watch him struggle and deal with something like that. Well said. Uh, all right. This is the part of the Promenade Merchants podcast where David says something that might be controversial and gets himself in trouble with the Trek fans out there. Uh, I'm not going to reiterate all of the great things Alex and Heather said, but I am going to bring up a point about this movie that really stuck in my head in a not-so-great way. And that's Data. And I remember feeling this way as a kid, watching the movie in the theater. And when I watched the movie again as an adult, I felt the same way. Now, in Star Trek, Data was an android. and Through the majority of Star Trek The Next Generation, Lieutenant Commander Data did not have emotions because he was an android and Dr. Sung didn't have that programmed into him yet. And then we got the emotion chip. And then I remember watching in the theater little nine-year-old David 
And aside from maybe one of the more lighthearted scenes, I think it was the particular scene where Data had the drink and he realized he hated it. After that, the emotion chip kind of wore out its welcome for me. Because while Brent Spiner played it exceptionally well, this idea of Data discovering emotions and how he would adjust to it, it kind of grated on me a little bit. And it got a little tiresome for me. And I don't know. I I just felt like there were times in the script and and in the the writing of the movie where they were really trying to shoehorn comedic moments with Data in it. And that kind of became a recurring theme throughout the course of the movies with the cast of TNG and that Data in a lot of ways became comedic relief. And that got a little tiresome in this movie. It started there for me and it really kind of wore on. However, I will say Brent Spiner absolutely nailed the performance himself. But seeing the moments that you could clearly see that the writers of the movie were saying, let's have Data discover emotions with stuff that's silly. Let's have Data say shit in a film. And that'll get everybody really crazed over hearing profanity in a Star Trek movie. Can't imagine if that will ever come up again. But I think that might have been my one negative takeaway from the movie because i'm really surprised and and alex i would love to hear you chime on on this i was always under the impression that the response to star trek generations was mostly positive Uh, i've really never seen much disparaging remarks towards the movie not nearly as much as nemesis and certainly not as much as insurrection um what other things have they said about generations that really knocked it down for some people i know you mentioned kirk's death but what else was it kirk's death the the sort of contrived way that the whole movie ends the action sequence at the end you know the sort of fist fight in the valley of fire <laughs> and um and and i don't disagree with you about data i mean obviously it's a, it's a logical evolution for the character right it's sort of the next stage for that character to reach but at the same time it's also the end of the character's journey because then he basically more or less is human and at that point the only thing left to explore is death and that's effectively what they did the other part of the movie, which I agree is really bad, is um, what I would describe as Picard's like weirdly chased Christmas family <laughs> fantasy, which has this like I don't know. It just it it doesn't suit. It, it doesn't suit the character at all in my mind. This like you know he the the Nexus is supposed to be showing him the thing that he wants the most and it's this victorian era family christmas scene where he's got this wife who's nobody we've ever met before and he's got these children who you know we've never had any inkling of and then his nephew's there and he's in this like house and it and it it doesn't feel like it's the 24th century it feels like it's 1874 and that's just the sure it wasn't just are we sure it just wasn't like a a retelling of a Christmas Carol on a holodeck? I mean, that's kind of what it is, <laughs> but it's like I I don't know it it I, in my mind I have sort of told myself that the Nexus doesn't show you the fantasies that you actually have; it shows you the fantasies that you think you should have because that's the only way I can reconcile what that was because the show never said that Picard wanted that, right? Like his alliances up to that like you know vash was one of his big flames from during the show and there's nothing kind of victorian chased christmas about vash um so yeah that whole section of the movie is just it's it it is the kind of scene that you would write 
And I know it was written by Ron D. Moore and Brandon Braga, and they know better because they've written Picard a bunch of times. But honestly, it's the kind of scene you would write if you had the only the most surface understanding of Jean-Luc Picard and who he is, right? If you just watch one episode of The Next Generation, that's the kind of thing you'd come up with. And it's just it's just not good. It's a, it's a terrible section of the movie. I wonder why they deviated so much. Given I think the because... characterization of Jean-Luc Picard. Honestly, I think it's because the movie was coming out around Christmas and they wanted to plug they wanted to fit in a bit of a Christmas angle. <laughs> they wanted to make it a Christmas movie. Yeah, exactly. And that's how it worked with Gundam Wing. So. And I mean, I, I can understand why they got there, right? Because the, the, the movie sort of hangs around this idea that Picard suffers this great loss in where he loses a, a cherished part of his family and it makes him reassess his decision not to have a family up to that point. And at that moment in his life, he's feeling great regret about the fact that he never settled down and had a child because he discovers in that moment that the idea of the Picard family line and, you know, the family continuing is one that's really quite important to him. And so given that setup at the, earlier in the movie, in that in that fabulous scene where he breaks down in uh his quarters with troy while he's looking through the family album it makes sense that when he goes into the nexus the thing that he would see there would be the thing that he in that moment has said he really wants right which is that stability in that family yeah but it just doesn't it fits it fits within a sort of very simplistic narrative framework of the movie itself but it doesn't fit within this being a movie that comes after 180 episodes of The Next Generation in which we've gotten to know this character a whole lot better. Yeah. Okay. Um, so overall, we've got to ask, within the scope of the TNG movies, Heather, I'll ask you, where would you put Star Trek Generations? Uh, I'd probably put it like third. Okay. All right. Alex, three how about four. you? Three or three Same. Four? I would go third. Okay. All right. I would say, let me think. I would say that it's solidly third in my book, only because number four is a distant fourth. Uh, but I would say that it's definitely third. But I I always found it to be a pretty enjoyable movie overall, especially if you're a Star Trek fan. If you are a Star Trek fan and if you have not seen it, check it out. Oh, Heather, speaking of checking out Star Trek movies, uh, since the last time we recorded, I watched Star Trek IV, The One with the Whales. And I saw something about that. And I have now, I am now officially a Star Trek completionist. All right. That, that was the last one on the list. And the reason I I avoided that one is because, like Captain Janeway, I don't like time travel in Star Trek. A lot of the, <laughs> a lot of the time travel stuff comes off as really, really cringy to me. So I avoided that one for the longest time, and it was fine. It was fine. I know a lot of people love that movie for its message and the fact that Leonard Nimoy wrote and directed it. And it was fine. It was okay. And I'm ready to move on. I'm ready to move on. Uh, I had something while we've been away. I have been kind of doing sort of a casual rewatch of TNG, maybe an episode or a day or so here and there. And I came across one episode and I realized that if I were to introduce Star Trek, the next generation, or maybe even all of Star Trek, the franchise to someone, I felt like this would be the episode. And for me, it was season three, episode seven, the enemy. And it was, a, a, in my opinion, a really great episode where we saw LeVar Burton stranded on a planet, injured with a Romulan soldier who was also injured. 
and we saw some great back and forth between Captain Picard and Tomalok, the Romulan commander, who had become sort of the arch nemesis of the next generation during this era. And it was just a, a great, great episode. It had lots of great performances. Michael Dorn, LeVar Burton, uh, just a fantastic episode overall. And Alex, I'll ask you this one. Um, have you ever had or do you have maybe that one television episode of Star Trek where you think you might say, this is the episode. When I think of Star Trek and how I want other people to see Star Trek, this is that episode. Do you think you have one of those? Yes, for me, it's the penultimate episode of the sixth season of The Next Generation Timescape, where the it's Picard and Troy and Riker, and they're on a runabout, and they are coming back from a conference and they find the Enterprise and a Romulan warbird trapped in time. And it looks like they're in the middle of a big fight and they beam aboard and everybody's like, um, like stuck in time and they have to decipher what's happened on the ships and then fix it without, because like the Enterprise is in the process of, it is in the very early stages of blowing up. So, um, but it turns out that it's like, it, it actually, the, enterprise of the romulans working together because there was this alien who was like trying to like um uh, birth their young in the in the artificial singularity of the romulan warp core and it caused a catastrophic accident and so it's one of those episodes where a it's got a lot of like sciencey techno babbly stuff it's got some action it's got some and it's one of those ones that sort of deconstructs the original sort of what you're seeing right what you think you're seeing is a battle between the enterprise and the romulan warbird in process and so then the thing is like well how do we how do we figure out how to get the good guys to beat the bad guys but then as the episode goes on it slowly deconstructs that to show you that actually that's not what's happening it's much more complicated than that and um and everybody ends up working together, which, of course, is the, you know, the sort of classic kind of Star Trek-y idea. Okay, that was season six, episode 25. This one was actually directed by Adam Nimoy. How about that? Yep, that's right. One of the, one of the like, three or four that he did. Mr. Terry Farrell, while we're at it. Exactly. Uh, uh, Heather, how about you? Um, if you have like one episode of a Star Trek series, it can be from any of them, that you would say like this is this is the Star Trek episode that I would show to a new viewer of the franchise. Do you think you have one? Oh, see, that's a a hard question. It's such a hard question for me it because is. I honestly believe that um especially with the amount of Star Trek that is available, that it really just depends on the person to find the show that would really hook them out of all of them. Uh, if I had to pick one television episode, see, I like how you specified television episode. <laughs> there. If I had to pick one television episode, it would actually be um, the series premiere of Enterprise. Broken Bow. Yeah. That's an interesting choice. Why Broken Bow? I'm really interested. That's an interesting I, one. I, I just, I think, um, like, a lot of times, like, if I'm suggesting to someone where they should start in Star Trek, I actually tell them to start with Enterprise. Because I think Enterprise really personifies um, the drive and the like human need or want for exploration, which is the basis of what Star Trek is about, even though it, it has nothing to do with the Federation or anything like that. Um, but it, it really personifies some of the human traits that are a big part of Star Trek. So um, yeah, that's why I would pick Broken Boat. Now, if we're talking about movies as well, um, sure. Star Trek 09, definitely. Uh, I think that would be the one I would suggest for anyone and everyone who might be possibly interested in diving into the Star Trek universe is to watch Star Trek 09. 
I feel like that's a good starting point. Uh, it's fairly recent, so film and production are, are still pretty enjoyable and, and pretty good. Uh, that first reboot movie is, is pretty enjoyable, I think. Uh, there's action. We get introduced to some, to some iconic characters or reintroduced to some iconic characters. Yeah, that's a good choice. But now I'm really going to press you since you brought up the point about the television, Heather. If there was something on CBS All Access that someone were to say, or, or rather Paramount Plus, sorry, I did that. Uh, Paramount Plus. Uh, if there was maybe an episode on Paramount Plus of Star Trek, which would you say would be a good kind of gateway? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> um, are we talking like because you it can didn't be agree just, with my Enterprise picks? Or are we talk, no, no. talking like? I I actually love your Enterprise pick. That that's actually one I had not thought of, and I really love it. Uh, but since you did spe- specify television, uh, and we are in this new Paramount Plus oh, era of Star Trek, so we're we're talking like the the newer shows now. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, um, I actually think Broken Bow is a great pick. Like it's it's a really inspired great pick. I really do. Okay, so if we're talking about the new shows, I would go with the season two premiere of Discovery uh, Brother, because I'm the weirdo who likes that slightly more than New Eden. (laughs) Uh, Um, I completely agree. I'm totally okay with it. I I think that one really personifies um, Star Trek in the the streaming era and uh, Pike's. Uh, just the introduction of Captain Pike in that episode um, is so well done and really personifies um, just the the crew working together and not wanting to leave anyone behind. I think the, those are some things that are really important to Star Trek today. I I absolutely love that. Speaking as someone who does love New Eden, as someone who does love that episode, I think that's that is also a great great choice. Uh, Alex, uh, if, if there was a Paramount Plus era Star Trek episode you might pick to be kind of the intro to Star Trek right now, what do you think it would be for you? I think I'm going to pick the short track, The Brightest Star. Okay. The one yeah, where Saru yeah. gets recruited into Starfleet. Um, just because, you know, if you show someone something in 15 minutes and if they're interested, show them a bit more. <laughs> um, you know, and it is that sort of like the the theme of the of the short trek is around striving for more and you know wanting to reach forth and connect with the wider universe around you. And I think that's very you know sort of reflective of the franchise as a whole. I I, I think that's a fantastic choice. Uh, it is Saru, someone. Uh, on Kaminar, who really has no concept of the universe, uh, being introduced to the larger universe that is Star Trek by Captain George O. And I think that's absolutely fantastic. It's It's almost symbolic in a way that it would be someone being introduced to Star Trek for the first time. I, I think that's really, really good, Alex. That's that's another great inspired pick, really. Thank guys. you. You guys are killing it. You guys are absolutely <laughs> killing it. So let's just jump into new business then. Uh, this is, you guys are awesome. I'm loving this. Love this. Uh, Star Trek Prodigy. Uh, we got a little trickle of news from Kate Mulgrew where she gave us details on how the holographic Janeway will be introduced to the aliens in the Delta Quadrant in Star Trek Prodigy. Uh, do not know if coffee was confirmed yet or not. Uh, Heather, uh, you saw this story. Uh, what did you think? Well, I, I, I mean, I love just, I, I'm the type of person who gathers up all the snippets of defense detail as they get released about the new show. So um, I love it. Um, I think it's an interesting 
concept. Uh, like I didn't expect the kids to be actually incarcerated <laughs> on some sort of planet and um, go and are trying to escape their uh, their prison guards and their jailers and that's how they end up finding the ship and they try to use it to escape the planet but they can't get anything working right and then of course Janeway pops up can I help you <laughs> I mean I, it, it, it's the type of introduction that will especially snare uh, children's imagination and their their minds and really hook them in that way so I think it's really exciting, and I can't wait to see it whenever it finally gets here this year. <laughs> They're saying 2021. Uh, Alex, uh, how are you feeling about Star Trek Prodigy and this sort of introduction and, and as to how things will go? Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. It's funny, I've, you know, I feel a bit like every time... I think I'm getting my hands around this show and what it's going to be and what it is. They sort of throw another curveball at me and I'm like, oh, well, that's kind of not quite what I was expecting but in a good way. I mean, it's, you know, it, it would suck if it were, it were really easy to figure out exactly what the show was going to be and what it was about right now, because, you know, uh, that's, then it wouldn't be terribly creative. Um, so, it, you know, it's, it's a good thing that I am being surprised and, having my assumptions challenged by it. But yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, it sort of throws up a bunch of questions right around like, you know, why, why were these characters imprisoned? What's this ship? It sounds like the ship's been there for a while, right from the way she says it's, you know, they find their ship and it's sort of buried. Then, you know, how long has the ship been there? If it's been there for a while, why does it have a Janeway hologram on it? You know, lots of, lots and lots <laughs> of questions that, you know, need answering. You know, the other thing too is this, this didn't come up in what Kate Mulgrew was saying, but Mike McMahon was giving it, who's the lower decks creator was giving an interview with Trek movie about um, season one release on DVD. And he started talking about season two and he was talking about how there are now showrunners meetings for the six showrunners to come together the the current star trek shows to come together and like catch up and talk to each other about like what they're doing so that they don't you know use the same characters too much or like do the same things right i mean my my guess is maybe it's a consequence of the fact that Riker shows up to save the day in the lower deck season one finale and in the picard season one finale and those were only like four months apart um <laughs> but yeah. one well, of the things because Riker's said, awesome well, sure, and I love it. I'm I'm all for it. But but my guess is if they had been talking to each other, I doubt they would have ended up doing that. But they're talking to each other now. And Mike McMahon was saying that in those meetings, him and the prodigy guys will frequently have these conversations about okay, which characters you plan to use, you know, you know, uh, we were thinking about using that character. What were you thinking about using that character for? And that's also really interesting because Lower Decks is set in the Alpha Quadrant. Prodigy is supposedly set in the Delta Quadrant, but if there is this question of like overlapping characters, then there's also, you know, presumably then some other legacy characters in addition to Janeway who appear in the show. But how's that possible if the show's set in the Delta Quadrant rather than being the Alpha Quadrant? And then you tie Wormhole. in the fact that Wormhole. Billy Campbell, who played O'Connor in that dreadful second season episode of The Next Generation, you didn't that like had done that a episode, voice Alex? For Star Trek Prodigy. No, Alex, who does? <laughs> really? Wow. So, like, that all adds together to be like, what is this? Sh we really don't know. Hopefully, we'll find out soon. My big theory had been that that the show was going to premiere like this week, but of course, that's not happening. So, I don't know. I guess we'll just have to wait and see. I'm just going to say it's wormholes. That's what I'm going with. It's got to be something, right? <laughs> right? It's it's that that's kind of how I see it. It's it's bound to be wormholes. And you really didn't like the episode with Billy Campbell? Oh, no, it's dreadful. Billy Campbell on one hand and then the B plot is Data and uh, Joe Piscopo like trying to teach him how to be funny and it's the lamest comedy in the world. <laughs> maybe maybe that's why I like it because it works. So <laughs> yeah, I, I 
I thought that episode was a lot of good campy fun. It was early TNG campiness, and, and I enjoyed it. Big miss. Okay. Fair but enough. I like that you like it. Agree to disagree. But something we can agree on is the fact that Star Trek conventions are awesome. Uh, Heather, uh, I believe this is one that you actually brought up this time, not me, because I know I'm Mr. I've been to a thousand different conventions in my life. But this one was actually from you uh, about something happening in Columbus, right? Yeah, so I found out this week that there is a new convention coming to Columbus in November uh, called Fanboy Expo. And I'm super excited because both Doug Jones and Armin Shipperman are slated to be guests at the expo. So my topic idea was... Uh, in lieu of the larger Star Trek specific conventions, are there any local conventions near you guys um, that make are making plans to be happening this year? And do they have any Star Trek guests? There is a big sort of cross Comic-Con convention that happens in the DC area called Awesome Con every year. That is happening in August, and I think George Takei is scheduled to be there. I know they they're like they're they're talking about guests right now because it was supposed to have been last Easter and that didn't happen because of COVID. And yeah. they are now going to be in late August, and so they're starting to announce the guests. And. Yes, I think they've got George Takei there. And then um, it's not, I don't think it's happening this year because it should be happening like in a month or two. I think they prematurely canceled it. But the long running Shore Leave convention, which takes place in Maryland every year. Oh, William Shatner is an awesome con uh, as well. Oh, um, yeah, William Shatner and George <laughs> Takei. Yeah. Okay. August 20th to the 22nd, uh, which I might go to. I don't have much of an interest in, I've had plenty of Shatner time. <laughs> um, and George K is impossible to get an autograph with because he spends like 25 minutes talking to everybody he gets an autograph with so even if there's like <laughs> 10 people in line it's still going to be 4 hours before you get to talk to him oh wow <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah I normally go if there's I normally go to if there's if there's one good Star Trek guest that I want to go and see I'll go to Awesome Con uh, and I'm looking forward to surely getting back up online. It'll probably be next year. It, it, and that one has been going on since the 90s. And that was like a one of those like classic 90s Star Trek conventions. And most of those are gone now. They they were sort of in cities all across the US. And a lot of them aren't aren't around anymore. But surely still exists. They sort of broadened to not just being Star Trek these days. But so shame it's not happening this year. But totally understandable why they made the decision a couple of months ago not to do it. Yeah. What about uh, you, David? I will say uh, Motor City Comic Con, which happened, uh, I think it was just virtually, maybe like a week or two ago, didn't really have any. And right now, it's looking like, as far as Motor City Comic Con, Grand Rapids Comic Con, there really aren't a lot right now that, that will be having guess i'm not even sure how many in the detroit area or even in the state of michigan will be having celebrity guests much less star trek guests uh so really right now it's kind of looking like no we don't really have a whole lot right now uh in michigan uh i'm i'm kind of perusing i've been perusing and so far i'm really not seeing much of any for 2021. I think that, well, I'm certain it will definitely change next year. But yeah, right now for 2021 in, in Michigan and in the Detroit area, kind of not really. Kind of not really. Which, to a degree, I understand. Uh, I think that everyone and their mother is going to be going extra hard for 2022. And yeah. I I kind of understand that point of view because right now it's still it's still kind of touch and go. It's still a little iffy in some parts of the country. And I get it. I get that. So yeah, not right now. Not for me. Oh well. 
Well, you are always welcome to come down to Columbus in November if this con does actually happen. I mean, obviously, November's pretty far away, so things could change between now and then. But, yeah, come visit. Meet Doug Jones with me. It'll be fun. I, I had the pleasure of meeting Doug Jones once before at Motor City Comic Con in 2008. Uh, I made a joke about Bugbusters, and we shared a laugh. So I, I would hope that I can bring up another one of Doug Jones's more obscure movies, and, and hopefully we can talk about that if I decide to go. Looking forward to conventions, man, especially Mission Star Trek. Man, that is going to be so great. It's going to be great. And this episode has been great. It's been absolutely fantastic. And Alex Perry, I cannot thank you enough for joining us. You have been Nothing short of exemplary for this episode. Alex, tell everybody what you've got going on. Yeah. Um, as you mentioned up top, uh, I host a, uh, and uh, which you've both been guests on uh, actually quite recently. Uh, I host a, a weekly Star Trek news podcast called Weekly Trek. All the Star Trek news in 40 minutes or less each week. Most weeks we've been every other week the last month or so because there hasn't been a massive amount of news. But i got an episode coming up very shortly. Um, and, uh, yeah, anybody who's interested in reaching out and carrying on the conversation, you can best place to find me is on Twitter. You can find me at weekly Trek and the show, you can find me on Twitter at Alexander T. Perry and the show is weekly Trek, which you can find at weekly Trek. Everyone listen and subscribe to weekly Trek. It is fantastic. I'm not just saying that because Heather and I have been on it. It is a great show. You get your weekly fix of Star Trek news free from the Dominion propaganda. You love to hear it. And, and Alex, again, can't thank you enough for coming on. Uh, Heather, another prom check pod is in the bag. Uh, what have you got going on for the folks to hear about? Um, not much. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at nerdygal33. Um, I... Could promise to stop talking about Law & Order SVU since the season is almost up, but I can't promise that. Um, it'll still happen. But hopefully I will talk more about Star Trek as we get into new Star Trek coming within the next couple months. So uh, We're in a bit yeah. of a dry spell with Star Trek right now. It's a bit of a dry spell. Like, uh, it's coming. All of, all of the Trekkie podcasters out there, let's just be honest, it's kind of dry right now with all of the shows in production. It's a little bit dry. <laughs> hey, but enjoy it, because in six months, it's going to be just a massive, unrelenting deluge. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so everybody, thank you all for listening. Uh, check us out on Twitter at Prom Trek Pod. Join the conversation in anything we talked about. Star Trek movies, Star Trek TV, conventions, cosplay, ships, figures, the whole nine yards. At Prom Track Pod on Twitter. Let us know what you think. Thank you all, everyone, for listening. Walk with the prosper and live long and profits. <laughs>